episode 23 of Strange Brow Radio. I'm your host, Tobe Johnson. Today's guest, Kevin Ian Beagle. Subject matter, time travel and his experience with it as a druid. He's seen some crazy stuff and it just might have to do with portals, time travel. So we'll get Kevin's perspective here from one of our live events in Cottage Grove, Oregon. And I've got some more news about the live event, so stay tuned after the broadcast. Okay, our sponsor, Feral by Aaron, working with Marcia K. Moore of CMR Studios. Her drums, her rattles, her smudge fans, in particular the drums, are being worked on, painted on, used by Marcia K. Moore and her beautiful artwork right on the hide. There will be an art showing, date yet unknown. Marcia was recently on Ancient Aliens, so you can check her work out and the, the Badland structure that she spoke about from that episode of Ancient Aliens. Thank you again to Feral by Aaron, E-R-Y-N, at Etsy.com. All right, we'll be right back. Kevin Ian Beagle has grown up in and around the knowledge of the juridic principles. He's been brought up in some secret schools and secret knowledge regarding how these elements of time travel or portholes may exist through an Irish juridic perspective. So when he agreed to come on the show, I said, just let her loose. Now you're getting the live events version, uh, the live show that we do that would include it a PowerPoint, and I'll get that up on YouTube so you can enjoy the one-on-one with the audience, myself, and Kevin Ian Beagle. Let's join him already in progress from the Axum Fiddle Pub in Cottage Grove, Oregon. And uh, I was lucky enough to live in an area that was uh, known for that, and so secretly I was told some different things, but um, I had uh, strange experiences um, um, as a child. Um, so uh, that uh, have to do with, I believe, UFO abductions. Um, but uh, I never told anybody. My dad's a doctor. He, he basically said, don't tell anybody, uh, you know, or else you get locked up in the nut house. And uh, so I went through my whole life, you know, live, leading a dual life, sort of, uh, you know, trying to, trying to solve things from a, a, from a um, scientific standpoint rather than a spiritual standpoint. And then I've come to the conclusion over the years that uh, you've got to have a balance between the two. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pointless to try to explain anything without the both components. Um, so, yeah, which is interesting whenever you're dealing with uh, things like what Daryl is showing um, because of the fact that... Uh, you know, some of the things that it's showing are, are things that, that don't make um, sort of scientific, quote-unquote, scientific sense. Uh, but it does if you understand uh, quantum mechanics. And, uh, you know, this is one of those things we're going to be talking about with, with time travel. is the difference between Newtonian science and quantum mechanics. 
And when Bob Lazar was talking about um, uh, UFOs and things like that, one of the things that we had had a prior discussion about, Toby, was is that, uh, like Bob Lazar said, uh, when these items are moving around, a lot of people think of aerodynamics in a funny way. So if, you're, if you've got a wing and an air surface that you know, travels faster over the wing than underneath the wing, um, then that creates lift. Um, and you're, but you're always pushing the, um, pushing the, the, the wing across it. Whereas, you know, with what Bob Lazar was describing, uh, which is actually creating a field and pulling the object to it. So what I believe, especially whenever you see that sort of flare up, and that's one of those uh, things that I, I specifically asked you that question was, did Daryl, was Daryl zooming in then? Or was that something that that happened? And, and you said, no, it, it doubled in size. Well, I, I honestly believe that that's what's happening is it's a, it's a change in the um, sphere to move it towards an object. In other words, if it is a uh, biomechanical uh, thing, which I, th I think most UFOs are, to be honest with you. I don't think they're just nuts and bolts with somebody in it. I think it's a combination between the two. At least that's the experience that we seem to have when we're doing our UFO uh, investigations up here near Mount Baker is that um, most of the time people describe it as almost like a sentient being, like it's thinking its way where it wants to go. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's what I think is happening there as far as that goes. So for me, it looked really good. I don't think you're going to find anybody who's going to say it's not a UFO. Uh, they're not going to look at it and say it's an anomaly that, oh, it's a, it's a plane or it's a bird or whatever. Uh, to me, it, you know, they're not going to say what it is, but they're going to say, I don't know what it is, which is basically the best thing we can come up with at this point in time is saying, we don't know. It's just like Aaron's little uh, disc that appeared before her. Um, you know, all you can ever say about it is, is nobody's seen stuff like that before, and it's and it's just unexplainable. I mean, we've we've gone through it with a fine tooth comb on that one, and uh, there's really nothing to be said that it's it's not normal, and we don't think you took a picture of a bug or anything. So, right, enough. it just seems like it's it's unlearned science, and uh, there seems to be a, a spiritual component to it as well because it it. You know, if it's science that we don't recognize, it appears as though it's magic. I know yeah. when you were describing uh, the fact that these things are predictive and they're they're kind of attuning to what you're about to do and, you know, reading your mind, for lack of a better uh, version of how to explain this. I know that in Commander Favor's uh, story, the rally points that they were supposed to go off the coast of San Diego were plotted on a map off the Pacific Ocean. And when they saw this tic-tac, which they said was about 40 feet in diameter, it took off and they watched it on radar land 60 miles away in one second. And not only was that amazing, it was waiting at the rally point. And the rally point was like, you know, top secret information for training. So this thing knew somehow where these rally points were, they hadn't gone to it. And so that, that adds two weird components to it all. Yeah. Let's, go, let's go into um, 
Kevin and his experience with all things that we, I guess we would call Orwellian and, uh, you know, nature as far as what's going on with the world today and, and time travel and uh, explain to the audience how you explain this. Uh, just to well, Yeah, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a concept where, um, again, was one of those things where throughout time we've always had stories of time travel, whether it's, um, whether it's stories of going back in time to change something or going forward in time or being stuck in time, losing time, a lot of, a lot of different things like that have to do with time dilation, which is kind of a funny thing because if you, for example, fairy lore, and I'm going to you know, say this, fairy lore and UFO lore abductions seem to be very, very similar in a lot of different ways. You know, and that's one of the things where time dilation happens, where, uh, for example, Travis Walton uh, will say to you, I felt like I was on the, the craft for two or three hours, and then he shows up five days later. Well, that, there's, there's, I mean, there's science for that about why that could be. Um, obviously, when we're, when we're talking about this, you know, it's a lot of different things that most people don't really think about all the time. Most of the time, whenever you, you talk about time travel as a thing, um, then that's really sort of, uh, you know, they want to lock you up kind of really delusional type of guy type uh, scenario. So, um, but uh, it, it does make sense, uh, you know, open your mind up. I, I promise not to make this into some kind of a total lecture on science. <laughs> Because nobody wants to see that. Uh, but I, I do want to just go through some basic things to, uh, to let us know that it, it is possible um, and uh, that uh, at, at points in time, we've all either uh, had experiences, you know, that may fall into that category. Uh, and, uh, you know, but it, it's one of those things where, again, I, I, we've always talked about this, Toby, where, you know, it seems like for paranormal experiences like sometimes Bigfoot or UFOs or um, vortexes or portals and things like that, weird stuff happens around the same point. Uh, you know, Cottage Grove, that valley that you live in, and I know Sean and Lisa are there. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Sean. And, uh, <laughs> and they're waving at you. Yeah, okay. They, I mean, they live in a location that... Uh, is an enigma to me. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one of those things where I, I think maybe that, that, um, that kind of phenomenon is very familiar in, um, you know, valleys and, and places. Um, like you can't say that these are all related. Um, but for some reason, other than the fact that I always say it, it it's like a, 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 you know, it's a, like an oasis in the, in the Savannah, you know, a lion and an elephant will drink at the same location. They're there for something. They're not related to each other in any way at that one point in time. But something is, there's power spots or whatever around the planet that seems to enable these different things from happening without a machine. So let me just say that. I mean, obviously, you could always make a time travel machine. But I think a lot of times people experience these things and don't even realize until after hey, I'm, I might have experienced a time slip or something like that. So let me just get started here. Um, <clears throat> of course, we know when we were 
when we were born, we, we were born into a three dimensional world. So um, you've got, uh, you know, uh, length, breadth and width uh, and depth here. Uh, but we actually live in four dimensions. I mean, a lot of times we'll get into an argument about what the fourth dimension is, but according to science, the fourth dimension is time. And just like you can move to the zero point out and back in any of these dimensions, it should be possible that we could go forward and back through time. Uh, we just don't know how to conceptually do that. Now, time is an interesting concept in the fact that uh, it's the only thing that we seem to limit ourselves to in, in the fact that everybody says, is time travel possible? Well, I'm going to give you the sort of smart-ass answer that, that me as an eighth grade teacher would give somebody in my class, which is, yes, you are traveling at time. You are traveling in time at one, one second per second currently. You know, the, the difference is trying to change that uh, and to either speed up or slow down how that works. Now, you have to understand that from that perspective, too. In order to time travel you also must be able to time or travel throughout the three previous dimensions, which a lot of times people don't understand. So take, for example, there you go. Here you guys are at the Axe and Fiddle pub um, in Cottage Grove, Oregon. And um, so that's where you're at now. Um, if you go into the future, if, if we're an hour into the future, and I say, I want to go an hour into the past, I could travel back in time, but I, but I can't, if I'm not traveling back in the other three dimensions, I'm going to end up halfway to the international dateline. It's kind of an interesting thing. The, the Earth spins at about 1,000 miles an hour where we're, where we're sitting at. So another for me to go back in time and stay alive because I can't live in the middle of the ocean um, I'm going to actually have to travel back within the first three dimensions too, which actually is kind of an interesting thing here if you get to it as well, that if you, if you travel two hours into the past, you're actually going to be in tomorrow because you're going to be <laughs> traveling across the international dateline. So it's one of those weird concepts of time that we don't really think about. And uh, so it, it is weird to think that if we could solely just travel within time itself, that we would actually be in the future based on the way that we tell time on the planet. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a weird thing you got to wrap your head around and, and try to open yourself up to that idea that, that uh, you know, it, it's a concept that we fought wars over for a long, long time. Um, you know, if you if you follow religion, a lot of fundamentalist uh, people believe that the the um, the the world was created on on October the the thirtieth uh, at four forty four BC at about six o'clock. That that idea came up by uh, an Irish guy named Bishop Usher, who basically took the um, the uh, Bible and basically went through generational things to come back to the time where creation of the universe started. Now, again, that's one of those things where we're taking a totally scientific thing where we're saying, okay, well, dinosaurs didn't exist back there or whatever. I don't get into the idea of whether somebody's spiritual beliefs are right or wrong. 
They're just what they are. Uh, and, and, and really, in a lot of ways, scientific beliefs are just a quasi-religious belief, too, in some ways. But, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about it is, is that we don't know exactly uh, when things happen that we just take for granted as well. We, we take for granted that Jesus was born on the 25th of December, which is probably pretty unlikely. Um, but for a long, long time, some part of the part of Europe was using a Gregorian calendar. Part of it was using a Julian calendar. There was about eleven day difference between the two calendars, and so you know if you were traveling from England to France, you had to adjust forward by eleven days. And that's you know that's kind of a weird concept again. It's 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 one of those things where we don't really think about it in that way. Also, if time is relative. Um, how do we know? I mean, if, if, if Einstein is correct and we don't know how to measure time in God's, God's book, uh, how do we know how long a day is to God? I mean, that's a, that's a very big question that I don't think any of us can comprehend, but anyway. you're, you're basically saying that we get used to the stories that others have told us and the fact checking behind it is just lacking so well, we, yeah, I, th I think that, that that's that's except yeah. these laws and these yeah. days, these laws are flexible. Exactly, it it, it is it is it, it is relative. Um, the farther the farther I am away from the planet, if I'm on Mars, which is one of the problems that I think we're going to have if we go to Mars, is how many calendars are we going to have to have? In other words, it takes uh, because the time is now dated on a very Earth-centric idea, which is it's how long it takes for the, the, the planet Earth to rotate around the sun. Well, it takes a different time for Mars, so what does that mean? Are we going to have to start making a universal time? Are we going to have to start making a Martian versus an Earth time? How do you, I mean, and so that's, that's one of those things where it's, it's just bizarre, but we'll figure that out. But when we're when we're talking about the theories of time travel, there's basically three. Uh, I hold those theories for a second. Here. Yeah, I'm gonna. I have a question here. Is it okay if we spit in some questions along the way? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, 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 I am a teacher, so I'm used to it. If okay. anybody has any questions, just interrupt. All right, in the back. Question. I have a question about. I'll, and I'll repeat it for you, Kevin, if you can't hear. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah, come here and grab the mic. You think I'm gonna? <laughs> Not capable. <laughs> I know my limits. All right, here. Go ahead. The idea through uh, Newtonian physics that a baseball player can't hit a 90 mile an hour pitch unless his brain utilizes tachyons and through an asymmetrical time space to judge where that ball is going to be so he can hit it. Well, well, yeah, it, that's an interesting, very, that's a very interesting question in the fact that uh, I think that we don't understand a couple of different concepts there. One is that time, if you look at the function of time or the, or the, um, the uh, calculations in science or math about time, time is, is a rate of change. Um, and for, for whatever reason, 
Um, that has, some of that has to do with gravity. It has to do with all these different things. So uh, where you are, so we have to come up with this idea of sort of an average time. Um, obviously, because there's places on the planet that have less gravity, usually the farther away from the, uh, uh, the equator you are, the more gravity you have. However, that's not always true because of the fact that, uh, depending on the rock geology and things like that, there's a, and it's a micro difference. But uh, our brain is capable of really taking into a, account um, a lot of these different factors. I think I think that our brain is is still the one of the most powerful computers that's capable of about three trillion uh, calculations in one second. So um, we don't choose to use that sometimes, but at the same time, um, yeah, we, we do have some predictability of, of abilities, I think, uh, due to the fact that our brain is calculating where it is. You see that a lot through um, people who skeet shoot or, you know, shoot trap or birds or whatever. They have the, 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 the geography in their brain and, and the spatial acuity to lead it, you know? And so, um, you know, how uh, that's not something that's observable because at, at all the different times, you have to be able to um, basically, uh, you know, predict all these things at once and the factors that are going into that are, are huge. So hopefully that answers the question close enough. Yeah. It got the conversation at least semi started for most of us here. But yeah, but but I but I th I think that the, that's one of those things where um, you know again it's uh, uh, and I'm going to show this in a couple of different things. Um, future time travel is proven. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You can do it. There's people on the planet that have done it. I'm I'm going to tell you who who they are. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the real crux of the matter is, is can we travel back into the past? Um, and, and that's really what most people talk about whenever they're talking about um, time travel is what happens if I go to the past? Um, what are the ramifications of that? So let's say, for example, there's in the fixed timeline model, um, I go back to the past, um, I lose my watch my grandfather finds my watch um, and then at, you know, at, at his death gives it to me, which means at that point in time is, you know, it's, it's part of the, it's already figured into the, to the, to the cake. In other words, if I've gone back in the past and I've lost my watch, he gives it to me. I then it's already factored into the universe that I'm going to go back in time. In other words, I don't really have any free will about that or choice in the matter. The, the other model that you have is the paradox where if I go back in time and kill my grandfather, what happens to me? Do I, do I, do I cease to exist? And then the third one is the multiverse theory, which is, um, again, that if I go back and kill my grandfather, I fail to exist in this universe, but there is another universe where I don't go back in time and kill my grandfather. So uh, if, if you really think about the, the one that most people have been exposed to as far as 
what happens when you go back in time. Uh, I'm going to play this little clip here real quick. Back to the future. Here we go. Oh, is it playing, Toby? You know what? It's a layered video. I can see images behind Michael J. Fox. Uh, okay, well, there we, go. Oh, there we go. There we go. Okay. Can't hear it, though. I can, we can describe what's happening. Oh, there you go. No. Describe the scene for us, Kevin, here as you. Play. Okay, so, so I, uh, are you still, can you still hear me? I can hear you, but no mic. Okay. All right. Well, let's just let's just let's just talk about it. So, again, Michael J. Fox goes back in time, gets hits on by his mom, <laughs> which yeah, is yeah. boy, everyone's but, fantasy there. Yeah, right, yeah, that's a yeah. Every, everybody loves that, and so he realizes that at that point in time, that he, uh, of course, can't um, have that that happen. So, the the conundrum is being. Do you end up being your own father? I guess that's one of the things that could happen in that situation is, am I, am I your own father? But, um, but you know, I, I tend to believe that the multiverse theory is the most sort of practical. In other words, if I am in the present now and I go back to stop the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, then this timeline that we're in currently ceases to ceases to exist and then we start an alternate timeline in other words that's the theory and and people like Michio Kaku and quantum physicists and things like that would say that that's true that for every decision that you could make you've made it in other words um part you know if you look back to the major decisions of your life that you said I should have done that you, you did in another universe. It's just at that point in time, we peeled off from that and didn't realize. So a lot of times people come up with the idea when we, when we activated CERN, the particle, the large hydron particle collider in, in, uh, in Switzerland, you know, that, that kid that was the genius came out with the idea that said, well, we, we ended the universe that day. Well, that, that's, that's a, definite possibility but we wouldn't know in other words so and uh, you know in other words in in one of these timelines i'm still married to my first wife <laughs> kevin wait, explain what cern is to people that don't know what cern is because some people have no idea what's going on in switzerland what what are the basics of cern well, CERN, CERN is basically where, where we're looking for the, the time particle, the God particle. It's what it's called. It's the Boson-Hicks uh, thing. And so we're trying to basically generate a, um, a you know, sort of a, a – we're trying to replicate, you know, black holes or wormholes or things like that. And so that's where one of the – that's one of the ways that when we go through these particle accelerators – that basically they're massive and they just send one little particle beam around and then they, they smash together. It's about a 50 uh, mile complex that's, uh, that's, that's in, in Europe. Um, it's an underground tunnel. Yeah. It's an, yeah, it's an underground circular tunnel that basically smashes particles together. And so, um, you know, some people are familiar with it. I think that they talked about that a little bit in, in uh, Dan Brown's 
sort of Da Vinci Code, the, the second one. I'm not exactly sure, but because I don't really watch a lot of that stuff. But there, I mean, there are concepts that 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 have to do with that. So again, we we do have certain types of things. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be able to see this guy, uh, but I basically have a a uh, a um, interview with a, a professor of physics, and again, he explains to a lot of different things why. Um, you know, why future travel is possible. And it basically has to do with time dilation. And so basically, as we travel farther, and, and maybe you can't see it, and hopefully you can, as we travel close to the speed of light, uh, the theory of relativity says that I'm going to go uh, out into space traveling at the speed of light, and and I'm going to come back. When I come back, uh, I'm going to be in the future of, of the planet. In other words, there's a difference in age. I have aged very little while the people on the planet have aged a lot. Now, again, this is one of those things where uh, astronauts who have been on the ISS, the, the International Space uh, Station, um, the ones who have been on there the longest have actually traveled into the future by one or two seconds. And that's because of the way that they're traveling at 1,700 miles an hour and the Earth rotates at 1,500 miles an hour. So therefore, what's happening is, is that they're actually dilating time. Uh, and that's how we could possibly figure out how we could go back in time as well. But let me just see if this this hopefully works. Right. If it doesn't work, we'll have you narrate it again. Yeah. He's whispering, really. Okay. Oh, we got. We, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. It's not playing. Okay. So. So basically, what he's saying is in that segment that, uh, again, it's a provable fact that we can move forward in time. That's no kind of a problem. We can, we can do that. Basically, all you have to do is to leap out at the speed of, of, of light and then uh, come back uh, to Earth. In other words, if we could travel to another planet at the speed of light, uh, let's say that the closest um, um, planet is like four four light years away. Well, it wouldn't matter if we got there anyway, uh, and we were four years older. By the time we got back to Earth, even if it took us eight years, everybody that we ever knew would be dead. I mean, that because basically we are pushing, we are pushing through light or pushing through space faster than time can do it. So that's the theory of relativity. And, and so, yeah, going into the future is not a problem. Um, uh, but that's not what a lot of people want to talk about. So when H.G. Wells wrote the time, uh, the time machine, and he travels forward in time, at, without even knowing that at one point in time that Einstein was going to talk about the theory of relativity, he, he predicts that correctly. So that's, that's one of those adventures of, of science fiction becoming science fact. So if you if this time machine here actually could be 
one of those uh, situations where it was actually traveling in space faster than faster than time, um, then that's how that problem gets around it. Now, so how do we how do we come up with that solution? How do we solve that solution? Well, the solution to that in in modern um, uh, science fiction, which I believe is is totally just true, is 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 hyperspace. Hyperspace is the fifth dimension. In other words, that's entering into time and space together. And so, uh, at hyperspace or or you know warp speed, you're basically pushing uh, something, but within the the categories of the fifth dimension. And so that's that's how you can get through it. In other words, you're dealing with a time dilation on two different sides, and so you're basically creating a wormhole scenario, uh, and and that's that's what you see in this situation where if you have a gravity like a a a uh, black hole, and then on the on the other end another black hole, but you're you're agitating those two things together, that space will basically flip over on itself, and so the fifth dimension would be is that you're manipulating time and space to the fact that instead of going from here to uh, um, here to say, for example, it takes me seven hours to drive to Cottage Grove. But if I could take a map and flip it over so that uh, I could put Cottage Grove on top of my house and I would just fall through a, a, a little uh, hole in the map, that's that's basically the fifth dimensional travel or, or hyperspace. That's how it works. In other words, it takes me a second to do what it should what what it would normally take me seven hours to do, and it doesn't create any issues where I'm I'm older than you, you're older than me, and that's that's one of those situations. So it's pretty it's pretty uh, pretty intense. So what now, about the UFO footage that we watched and the Nimitz stuff? As far as something moving through hyperspace, that would explain the lack of a sonic boom, that would explain the lack of an injury to the pilots, that would explain all these things here as far as it basically pushing through the pinpoints on a map. Yeah, because, yeah, again, that's a, you're right. In, in the fact that anything that, breaks the, anything that breaks the sound barrier should make, which is 720 miles an hour, should make a sonic boom. Um, but if, if we're dealing with uh, th- those situations where you're having that kind of acceleration and everything like that, it's totally possible by folding it over onto the same thing. Now, you're basically experiencing that or y- your, your mind may be filling in what's happening or, or what have you. But uh, yeah, the, the, that, uh, it, it, it means that you could go at an incredible speeds um, and, um, and, and not have any problems with it. In other words, due, due to this, because... Uh, if you could say, if I can travel faster than the speed of light, I'm actually manipulating time as well. I, I think that that's one of the things that's pretty critical about it. But for the longest time, we we, um, we only thought about um, you know time when when you could you could really move forward in time. So the the big problem happens is what happens whenever time stops or goes back. Um, you know, and so one of the things that's that's true is a lot of times physicists don't put different things together. In other words, 
we become familiar with lots of different things, um, but uh, we don't we don't put them together. In other words, in in other in order to discover ghosts or talk about ghosts or in order to discover UFOs or in order to discover time time travel, we really have to be sort of generalists in everything. Because um, a lot of times people don't take into the fact, they say, well, the speed of light is 186 seconds, uh, you know, miles per second, and we can't go any faster than that. Well, that's not true. If we can look at something from like the double slot experiment, which basically says uh, light is a wave and a particle. And so if it, it, a particle is not bound by the rules of light projection. In other words, a wave can only travel that fast. A particle can be anywhere. So you, we've already proven that in, in, the, in the lab at well. And one of the things they did at CERN was to find out that a particle can basically go to any place in the universe at will. And if that's true, then we are, then it, it is sort of devoid of the time constriction, the time jail that we put ourselves in. And so uh, this is not going to work out. And, I, and it's too bad. This is a monk I, I basically interviewed uh, about time travel. And basically the way I'll have to just, I'll just have to tell you what he, what he said. So we were talking about astral travel uh, primarily, and, and how he astral projects. And he didn't really want to talk about it because he said that's not the point anyway and, and everything, but that's just the way Buddhist monks are. <laughs> but uh, he he actually had said that when he was 13, he, he used to try to uh, meditate and put himself into a, a meditative state, and he would imagine himself rocking back and forth in the bed, back and forth, and that basically he would then pop out of his body and, uh, and be able to observe himself. And so then he went downstairs one time, uh, saw his brother fixing something in the, in the kitchen, and um, he, he saw his brother spill this thing, break a glass, and then he said he went back upstairs and got back into his body, and then he woke up out of his meditative state or his actual projection state, Got, went downstairs, saw his brother, so his brother was getting food, saw him break the glass and everything like that. So not only was he able to astral project, he was actually able to astral project into the future and then return back to his, his normal body. So again, this is something that happens with, with a lot of Eastern religions is, is that basically what happens is, is uh, with the dual slot experiment, they said that you don't have to necessarily observe it for it to change. You just have to think about it changing. In other words, I don't have to determine, I don't have to be there for something to be a particle and not a particle uh, to, for it to think. I just have to think about it. So in other words, Buddhists have come up with the idea or some people who are into meditative states or, you know, this is a shamanic thing. Everybody probably feels that We've all, we, we all know uh, Alyssa, and Alyssa says, uh, the healing's already done. I just have to do it. You know, that, that, I mean, that's, we, we all know shamanic people like that. And so basically, the, that's, that's that way of thinking about time is, is that 
you need to be healed. I've already done it. It's going to start getting better soon. That's exactly what's happening in this situation too. Whether that's Druids or, or, or I don't know, Reiki, for example, but most shaman that I've talked about actually talk about the fact that time is an illusion and it doesn't really matter when you do these different types of things that you can do it as long as you can observe yourself from without your body, which is an interesting thing because I once interviewed another guy who was a uh, firearms trainer in, um, in Vancouver for the police force. And he was sent one time on a mission up to um, uh, the wilds of the Yukon to try to find this, uh, this criminal who was living on this uh, native first American first nations uh, thing and he was living on the Indian in the Indian burial ground and had basically spooked everybody into thinking, or whether it was true, that you know this guy could manipulate time and space and everything like that. And uh, basically, whenever they found the guy, he was able to cross huge differences in knee deep snow uh, at at no time at all, um, and was able to get around his two partners. He shot his partner. So, I mean, that's documentable. This guy isn't making it up. And he said at that point in time, the only way he got out of it was because he actually came out of his body under that, that uh, sense of, um, of sheer panic and urgency and could actually then manip- move his body as like a robot. He was like basically saying, okay, I can now see I'm sending from this, this treetop view and I'm moving around to see where this guy is. And so he basically swung around and shot the guy. So um, that, that, that's one of those things where is that, is that a story about shamanic people being able to do things? Or is that a story about anything? All I I go, Kevin, I want to go back to a point you made earlier yeah. before we move over. You were talking about uh, how people, cultures view time differently and, you know, semi-racist uh, you know, quotes, uh, there's Indian time, right? And this is something yeah. they explain. Well, Indian time really exists because they're seeing that, and tell me if I'm wrong, in a circular pattern, these events have already transpired. Indian time being what it is, Native American time, shamanic time, these events, you know, Western European culture, we're seeing things linearly, we're focused in on that there's a goal that needs to be met, a payoff, uh, we're basically banking on these big payoffs here, but these other cultures don't see it that way. It's just like, you know, life is already taking place. The end is already here. If the goals yeah. happen, they don't happen. So culturally, it's very difficult for you to explain that and make that point to a group of Northern Europeans here for the most part. But it's, I think it's important to try to bring that point home so people understand where these, these terms came from. Right. Well, I, I think that is important, Toby, because from that standpoint, um, uh, you know, you've heard it. You've heard it through. I mean, almost any sort of indigenous culture, you have that racial stereotype. Um, they used to say that about Irish people. They used to say that about. I mean, people still make a joke about. You know, if you and I, I don't. I mean, I don't think it's true, uh, but in a lot of cases, people say that about. Uh, African-American people or people who, in, you know, came from Africa or whatever. They can't tell time or, or they, they can't do this. Um, the difference being is that we did think of time in a totally different way at one point. 
which was that, um, you know, a lot of times people didn't like fighting Celts because they didn't really care if they died because they knew time goes on. In other words, I don't really, I, and Vikings the same way. In other words, if they were to uh, expire, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to, I'm going to go wake up somewhere else tomorrow. And that's the way that's going to be. It's, there's not a beginning and an end. It's just, this is where I'm at right now. And so I, I think that that's, that's, that's true in a lot of ways, but I, I think that's almost a Southern um, uh, Mediterranean view of time, a Roman way of thinking, which actually then transferred up into Germany. I don't think, because if we think of the most uptight people for time and precision, you'd say the Japanese and the Germans. Uh, but I think that's a relatively new sort of precision way of doing things. And I, I think it has to do more with deadlines for, for money. And so therefore, um, I would, I, I understand, I, I've taught native kids on reservations and everything like that. And so, you know, from, from my standpoint, we have to come to a little bit of an agreement at, at, at a certain point in time. But I mean, without being too much of a, some people will say, well, that's just me. I'm going to be a super liberal sort of PC apologist here. But um, from my standpoint, I, I look at it from the standpoint is, is that, you know, that, that's the last jail we all live in is time. In, in other words, it's something that we completely accept. Um, but some other cultures who, uh, you know, who we've, we've, we've forced that time upon them and it's the last sort of bastion of things they might have. Hold, left. hold on a second, Kevin. We got a little feedback here. I don't want you to want people to miss it. Let me see what's going on here. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Good on my end. I don't know if you, did you experience any feedback on your end? I, I'm not getting anything. I'm doing fine. Is it doing it too? I don't know. I didn't do anything different. All right. Now let's try it. Okay. Go so, ahead. yeah. So yeah, that's, that's why I think as I, I, you know, I almost think it's like a, it's a matter of, um, it's a matter of, um, uh, it, and I almost think that for, for some reason, I'm going to sound anti-English here for a minute, but it is sort of the Englishman's mentality. Let's not forget at a one point in time, England had colonialized half the world, it seemed like. And, you know, that there is a saying that says only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the summer, you know, in the noon sun, because they would not adapt to any local customs at all. And so even if you go to Spain and they, and they have siesta and things like that, because it's the hottest part of the day, um, they would never adapt to that. Another, you know, they colonialized India, and therefore they started to make everybody work on an English time frame, and so that that's just the way that is. So, I mean, that's an interesting cultural standpoint as well. Oh, there we go. That's that's a good look. That would have to be my least favorite of all the Star Wars. I don't know how many people were. They had diehard fans for Next Generation, but give me Picard any day. But what are we watching? Uh, well, I just want to show you, you know, basically this concept of particle acceleration yeah. has been around for forever in a day. There they go, back to the gap. So it, it basically comes down to the idea that um, for, 
for for any of us, if we believe that teleport or uh, teleportation is true, time travel also has to be true because you know from from that standpoint, a teleporter basically takes you and scans you down to every particle, every inch of DNA, and and then replicates it. Not only does it destroy it and transfer it over to somewhere else, it also then replicates it on the other end. So it's not like a fax machine. In other words, you're sending a duplicate copy. You're actually transporting it to one point or another. So if that's true, again, given the fact that if we went back in time or wherever, um, we have to be able to lead into the situation like you were talking about before, we have to make the calculations to say, okay, when I transmit this person to the planet, where am I transmitting them to? And when am I transmitting them to? It's just as important. So that, that's the thing that, uh, that happens. Now, so people say, well, how do you know that we haven't done it? In other words, well, here, here's the other conundrum that we have. If we've time traveled, would we know that we've done it? which is another weird scenario. Um, so, and a lot of times people come to me and they, and, they, and they come to like have dreams interpreted, right? And they say, I keep having this dream where I'm still married to my first wife and the life goes on and everything like that. Is that some sort of a existential, you know, dream or nightmare, quote unquote, that happens because their time has changed and we and we can't we can't accept we can't accept the fact that we've just gone into a split reality or we've gone into this other scenario where where our brain has stored knowledge of that future line and all of a sudden it's blank from us and and therefore we're we're only accepting it in the in the in the in a subconscious state that, that's one of those things that's it's a really interesting thing that we can't necessarily guarantee that that's, that's not happening. Now, people will say that's crazy or nuts, but we all have that dream. I have dreams where we have these alternate realities where, you know, it's a one that you don't often think about where, you know, you, you imagine that you have a dream about an ex-girlfriend and you know you're happily married and everything like that and you can't control your dream. But that's one of those things that you go through in that scenario. Is that really trying to tell you that in one aspect of an interdimensional world, there is a dimension where you ended up with that person and that's, a, you know, that bleeding over. Um, and so that, that's, that's almost what I'm, what I'm trying to talk about. Is a ghost that's a residual ghost a bleed over from time? Is that person, are we really experiencing them in our time? Are we, not, are we haunting them? Just exactly. Okay. Exactly. Uh, you know, I've thought of that for a long time. Are they, are they basically, are they basically, because a lot of times you say, you see, and when you're not interacting with a ghost and they seem to have this pattern and people describe it to me as um, we're, it's like they're on a time loop. It's like a videotape that just replays over and over and over. A anybody that's old like me remembers those answering machine tapes that were on a loop. You know, they would just go back and back and, and loop over. And is that what's happening there? Or is it that their essence has transferred to the material? Or is it that that person is, is actually projecting into the future and not knowing it? 
and, and necessarily can't necessarily see us because of the different way that, the, the, you know, that's an interesting thing with the others. I mean, the movie, the others, the, I mean, are we haunting them? Are they haunting us? I mean, is that, that's, that, that's what, and how would you necessarily know that? And so, but what happens whenever we, we believe that uh, for whatever reason, I'm gonna talk about the Mandela effect here too for a second, which is what happens whenever we think that, you know, things that, that have been that whole way our whole life then suddenly change and people start to talk about that. In this clip here that I was going to show, and I, I won't show it because of the fact that it's not working. But again, um, William Shatner says, I never, ever, ever once said, beam me up, Scotty. And that's what we all believe. We all believe that, you know, that's what the, that's what the expression is. And yet he says, I never said it. I said, Scotty, beam me up, or two for beam up, or whatever. And Henry Winkler, you know, can't believe it because it's in his mindset and, and hidden in his zeitgeist that that's the way it was and there's no way around it. Now, in other words, some people would say that that Mandela effect or the way that we think things are versus the way that they are um, basically means that time has changed in a certain way. And you can see that here sort of. In other words, on, on is it Bernstein Bears or is it Bernstein Bears? I mean, most of us kind of remember things in the wrong category. Is it Oscar Mayer or Oscar, I mean, or is it Oscar Mayer Baloney? You know, th this is the type of things where people will say, well, subtle changes show up and you can document that. And, and you know, do, do we know, or is that proof the Mandela effect that certain things have to resolve itself over time, proof that multiple universes uh, exist and we've stopped our current trajectory within this universe and actually switched over to another dimension. So the and ones in the the ones in the greens are the fact-based ones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a little hard to see on the screen. Oh, so, sorry. No, Kit Kat doesn't have a space, but in our mind, I don't know. I kind of remember the little uh, dash between Kit Kat. That would be one for me. Yeah. Exactly. So. You know, there's always these examples of things where, you know, people will say, I, you know, you get into that situation where people will say, you know, and this is a huge thing with Kit Kat, you know, um, and I, you can't read the little numbers there, but 32% of people think that that's the Kit Kat logo is the one in the red. And, you know, it's the same with uh, Bernstein breads, uh, bears. Um, it's almost, you know, equal half of them believe that that's the, the, the one is right and the other one, you know, but they can't, they can't think about it. So, you know, that's the thing that, go, that goes crazy. Now, <clears throat> because I couldn't show all those different videos and everything like that, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get into the part where I think at this point in time, we've talked about theoretically, these things are all possible. They're probably all interrelated into a quantum mechanical viewpoint. Um, you know, and this is one of those things we firmly believe in. We're, we're all friends with Ron Moorhead and, uh, and know that, uh, you know, he's, he's trying to explain things in a certain way due to quantum mechanics. And By the uh, way, oh, i got to explain. Ron Moorhead will be speaking here next month. Ron Moorhead, uh, Bigfooter, recorded the Sierra Sounds. That's who Kevin's alluding to. He recently lost his crocodile Dundee hat. I know, it's yeah. very bad. 
So if you see a very sad crocodile Dundee hat floating around the streets, get back to me. Okay, go ahead, Kevin. Well, where did he lose it? It blew out the window. I don't know. Is that right? Yeah. In Oregon or Washington, where he lives? Washington, but it could have hit the tide and floated down here, but I digress. <laughs> go, go ahead. And, and I love the picture of you as an astronaut. That is an alternate timeline. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's that that's me. Anyway, I just showed this real quick because I I just wanted to show you this middle picture at the top there, which um, again uh, I think is I think I'm going to tell the pterodactyl story. For, you know, I will tell that story. But this this example here in the middle, that's one location that I've been with 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 uh, Sean and Lisa. They didn't see that at the time. Unfortunately, it was snowing there. Whenever they, whenever we try to take them there, so we couldn't take them to the actual location. But it's very highly magnetically charged, and uh, there is an ancient idea for a long time that, uh, as you can see in the picture, that's next to the one with the sort of the vortex that I'm showing. That's a plasma cloud that I took a picture of, um, looking up. You're talking about the pink one. Looking <laughs> yeah, that that the pink plasma cloud um, that I believe is is. Uh, is the the best photographic evidence I've seen that I, that I, that that I've captured, other than big streams of streaks of light that seem to envelop people. Um, but this is kind of an idea that you well, know. Just a second here, we have a question in the back. What's that, partner? Yeah. Oh, the plasma. Uh, where was that at, Kevin? Granite Falls, Washington. All right, Granite Falls is where the plasma is. Go ahead. Well, I believe that I believe that that's that's um, I, I believe that that's you know it's 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 one of those things where I don't think this is a unique thing. I I, I don't I don't think that it's a unique thing. I think that um, again, whenever you're looking for paranormal things, um, one of the things that you, you look for certain characteristics: power spots, ley line crossings, power spots, high, highly highly. Um, uh, rocks that can be highly magnetized, like granite. Um, um, also, uh, you know, certain certain types of things. I think that if you do a geological study and you find a gold claim, lots of gold claims in an area, there's so much quartz in the ground that there's bound to be something weird that's going to happen there. Uh, that uh, and and that's one of the things that, that a lot of times people don't talk about is you know because basically at that point in time yeah if i say hey i saw something really super weird they're going to have to give up the <laughs> their location of their gold claim or wherever and and they're not going to do that but but we do experience these weird super weird things around around gold mines um quartz places with a lot of quartz in them and everything like that. i mean you know, that's what there was a theory for a long time that Bigfoot hung around gold mines. Well, is that because of the gold or is it not because of the gold? I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know why why Bigfoot would want gold, but anyway, that's that's my thing. But so this was a location. We saw this plasma cloud. It's right on top of a hunk of granite by two rivers. So you've got the you've got the negative ions, the positive ions going on. From the from the ground, stone circles do the same thing. I believe that's why the triskelin or a lot of these. Uh, uh, this is an old passage tomb in Ireland, 
that that's the one next to it where it looks like it's in a cave and the swirling in the cave there um that i mean these are one of those things where they're i mean people say is that indication of a portal what's that the indication of well i believe that it is a portal but again is that one of those things where does a portal what does a portal do i don't know i've never been through one um because a i'd be i'd I don't know if I, if I, if, you know, I don't know what to do if, if I went through that. I mean, ancient peoples believed that portals were, that in spiritual form, you would hang around for a while. And then basically that you would transfer over on a certain lunar date. Um, and that had to do with, with everything. So in a lot of passage tombs in, in Ireland and everything like that, you would actually lay with your dead family member for up to six months until they actually passed over in your belief at that point in time. So that's, you explained to me too that uh, energetic releases happen in the morning. So let's say someone in the audience here, Lisa wants to experience going into a portal to have a, a time distortion. Yeah. And you're saying, and I think that you might be onto something according to especially Irish culture, that if you can get yourself within a spot where these energies exist, Right. Portals exist. The morning hour, you have a better chance of actually experiencing a, a release, a, a heightened release. And Daryl, you would, you would admit that some of the bigger sounds that we've gotten happen after 8 a.m. Uh, the stranger things seem to happen after 8 a.m. They really show off. So why would that be? Well, basically what happens is, is again, one of the things that we don't really consider when we, when we look around the, the earth, uh, it has to do with the magnetic fields out around the earth. I mean, of course, there's the Van Allen belts. Those are radiation fields and everything like that. But we don't really understand um, the, the solar winds and their capacity for unlimited energy. In other words, when Tesla was looking at these types of things, and I know it's like I have to go into all these different things in order to describe time travel or whatever, but... Tesla understood that if you could punch a hole in the ionosphere and then move down, pull the energy down off the, the way that the solar winds went through, that, you, that the Earth would have unlimited power. I mean, we'd never run out. And you'd never have to pay for it. You'd never run out. And then, and then we also know that Tesla knew that he could generate that and throw it all over to the, the world. In other words, the fact that I have to sit here in front of this computer and it's plugged into the wall is kind of bull crap. You know what I mean? It's not, it, we don't need that. We don't, we don't need any of that. We don't need gas. We don't need any of that. Tesla knew that. That's probably why <laughs> he got killed. But anyway, uh, so, uh, and I'll tell you an interesting thing. I did a little You better be careful with how much you explain here. Yeah, I understand. All well, right. you, you know what? But uh, the way I look at it is, so in 2012, no, but I will say this, because it's an interesting thing about Tesla and, and government cover-ups and things like that. I know you like conspiracies, so I'm going to give you this one. All right. Later. Okay. Okay. So Tesla, when he died, had 80 trunks in his will, in his will, and, 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 uh, and uh, he was living in a hotel in New York, and he had 80 trunks in his inventory, right? Uh, he was a U.S. citizen. However, his trunks were all confiscated under an immigrant act 
even though he was a even though even though he was a uh, even though he was a U.S. citizen, and they wouldn't release him for ten years. And uh, the person who then took those those uh, documents and whenever they sent the six that sixty trunks ended up going back to uh, his homeland whenever his, his relative collected them. Uh, the other 20 were missing. <clears throat> and uh, the, the, the one person who was in charge of that, uh, those trunks, was a, was a physicist that went to, to uh, a, very smart, a very smart guy who's, uh, who was uh, Donald Trump's uncle. <laughs> I, I, I had a feeling it was going to come back to Uncle Trump. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. Which is which is that, that's fine. All I'm saying is is that you know I, I don't believe that anybody gets to where they get unless they're hooked into the system. But anyway, all right. So, but uh, the the uh, the um, the thing that I'll say is in 2012, NASA discovered what was called X portals in the planet. In other words, portals that opened up into space, and they basically opened up through the radiation belts, and and you could transmit through there. The, the thing that I've always found within ancient cultures and everything like that is, is that whenever they discovered things on the planet, um, they would set things up in a counter-rotative way. In other words, uh, the magnetic flow of the, of the energy on the earth in a stone circle or something like that, and, and Lisa knows where there's a stone circle behind her house. She's is, that, is that stone circle still there? It's still there, but the woods around it are kaput. Okay, and Kevin, just to give you a time, we got because time is an issue here in this planet. We got 15 minutes here. Okay, okay, I'll go. I'll go real quick. Okay. In other words, uh, when I was doing research in in the Karnak stones in France, and I did this in Ireland, I did this in England. When we were we were talking about these different things, you can measure time distor- uh, magnetic distortions, and at certain parts of the day, the magnetic f- uh, function of the stones will increase that that level by up to three t- three times in other words the magnetic footprint of the stone actually can increase up to three three different times during the day so the stones charge during the day they sleep at night and then they release right before the dawn so that's one of the things that w- when people when people show these old movies about druids and stuff and pagans dancing around trees and uh, dancing around um stones in the middle of the of the of the night it, it's a falsehood it, th- that's not true it, not to mention that the druids didn't build stonehenge it, that was the the neolithic period people beforehand so it doesn't you know it's all kind of screwed up but uh so what i'm saying is is right before the dawn that's when the stones release that's whenever you're going to have the biggest amount of energetic release and that's going to propagate out into the into the into the different parts of the day it also has to do with the time of the month as, as you get towards uh, the full moon. So the full, if, if you could go on the morning after the full moon at 8 o'clock, that's whenever you're going to see the biggest effect. All right. And, yeah. Everybody, you remember that because we have a full moon coming up. The night before the full moon, everyone get out your recorders, stick them in the weirdest spot you have on your property, and then let's come back here and share them in June or July. Does that sound fair? Uh, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So now I'm going to tell you the story. Okay. And so you guys are not that far away from where this happened. So okay. I set, set people up here because I only gave yeah. them about this much. 
I did mention it around town a couple of times that I, I was having a speaker in here and it's like, oh, by the way, he saw a pterodactyl with his wife. Yeah. So let's. <laughs> okay. So race people. Some people know Dr. Matthew Johnson. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a guy who uh, is a Bigfoot researcher. I, I don't think he's finding re- Bigfoot per se as most people would define it, but that's not up to there. The reason he asked me to go up there with him was because he thought that I was a, I was kind of a straight shooting guy who was just going to tell it like it is. And people believe the stories that I say, because I'm, I'm really not that kind of a bullshitter. So from that standpoint, uh, you know, I tell you what I interpret. You can say that that's, it didn't happen or whatever. That's, that doesn't affect me. But what I'm saying is, is that I am telling you what I honestly believe it happened. So when I went up there with him, this, this happened by Cave Junction. You're not that far away from Cave Junction, are you? No, we're about three hours or so. Okay, okay. So up in the hills by Cave Junction, he had this place that he said, you know, he, he, he had this family of Sasquatch that came out and, and visited him and all kinds of stuff like that. And he would have this very, very strong protocol about how you were supposed to interact with, with um with Bigfoot and everything like that. And some weird stuff happened up there that, believe me, I can't explain. And I, I don't know what it is or what it isn't, but uh, I saw shadowy creatures, lights, all kinds of stuff that if you were going to try to um, uh, replicate, I don't know how you would do it in the middle of the woods. I mean, I, I am a lighting guy. I used to be a DJ and everything like that as well. I, I've lit a lot of different stuff. And the amount of power and the and the amount of equipment that you would have to have out in the middle of nowhere is just impossible. Not to mention that he did let me go around uh, and look at all these different places. So this place that he has out there that 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 has to do with Bigfoot pers- that that he says I was experiencing all these different kind of weird things, disembodied voices, weird lights, shadowy beings all these different types of stuff like that. Um, he, and and I, I'm very, I'm very um, sort of sensitive to high energy, um, sort of residual energy. And um, so I, I was feeling, you know, just all these different things from the, from the rocks and all these different things. Now, um, this location is on a little promontory. And so the, the behind... So he has it like this at 12 o'clock, which is looking out in towards the uh, in towards a, a sloping hill that goes down. Uh, that's where he talks to the Bigfoot. If you go to the three o'clock, it basically drops off. If you go to the six o'clock, it drops off like 150 feet. And if you go to the nine o'clock, it goes up this sweeping hill. Now, I was always drawn to this sweeping hill that goes up in this nine o'clock position. And one of the things that I found was that's where all the strange noises happened to me. Um, and so I went up there one day to look at it and try to figure out whether there was anything there that could cause these noises or snaps or tree breaks or whatever. Um, and so I came back one morning after I was up there, I was just up there and I was looking around, um, trying to look for any, any spaces, any broken branches or anything like that, or things that could cause trees to make creaking or groaning noise and anything like that. So I, I sat down, Sam is talking to Matt Johnson 
And uh, I sit down. Now, Matt's kind of a freak. He makes you sleep out in the middle. And you can't sleep in a tent. You have to sleep on a cot. You know, so you're basically exposed to the elements the whole time. So I'm sitting on this thing looking up, straight up in the air. And um, Sam and Matt are sitting in a chair looking at each other. Um, and they're having a discussion. I think they were actually fighting about something. But anyway. Um, so all of a sudden, I look up and the sky goes completely dark. I mean, like, like the sun's like, like almost like, you know, not like a full eclipse, but sort of like a semi eclipse. So you can see that something is directly over you. I open my eyes up and I see this huge bird pterodactyl thing. I, I think it's a pterodactyl because it had a cone on the back of its on the, on the back of its head, you know, like in Jurassic Park. Some people say that that's a factor of a terror. I'm not a dinosaur person. I don't really know. All I know is it looked like the thing in Jurassic Park, you know, where they're flying away. And it was, and it flew right over us. It made a, it, it made a, a wind, it flapped its wings and it was like the downwash of a helicopter. I don't know if anybody's been under a commercial helicopter or been in the army or whatever, and you felt that downwash came from that. It was huge. It was massive. Um, and this thing, it, it had to be, I would say, 30 to 40 foot wingspan. And it had to be up, up, up above the, uh, the, the tallest tree, which I measured the tallest tree being about 105 feet or so. And it was just over the thing, over the, over the top of that. In other words, there was no way this was a drone or any kind of a plane or a helicopter. Um, and and I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I, 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 have, I have, till this day, I still don't know what to say about it. Other than the fact that when it happened, I said to Matt Johnson, he, he looked at me and said, oh shit. And I said, I said, I said, yeah. I said, I, I said, yeah, this sucks. And he said, what do you mean it sucks? And I said, we're going to have to tell people this happened. And I, <laughs> and, and I don't, and I, I said, I don't want, I don't want to tell people that I just experienced this. I love it. And, and, and basically that was the thing was at that point in time, we all thought about not saying it, not, not making it public, but you can look it up. There's a, there's a, uh, one of Matt's, Team USA videos has Sam and me and Matt Johnson explaining that we saw pterodactyl and at the at that moment and and what happened and that actually happened. We documented it at the time. I don't have any. I mean, it's three accounts of seeing this thing, and none of us had any doubt at the time what it was. And so I I didn't want to say that I saw it, but then whenever I got home. I actually had seen a lot of reports from around the sort of Mount Shasta, Northern California thing that this is not, I'm not, I'm not the only one who's ever seen it, right? I was with three people who saw it and other people at other times have reported the same thing around that area. And I, and I, I don't know what to say. So I, I honestly think that, uh, it, it, give people an idea how, how, Sure, you are over what you saw, Kevin. So, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not I, at all. I am not. I am. I am one hundred percent. 
I would, I would take a lie detector. Uh, I, I honestly, I mean, people know me, I, you know, sometimes I big up stories and stuff like that, but whenever I'm talking about what, I mean, that's, that's different. I mean, if I'm talking about, you know, I used to have three girlfriends at the same time or something, but that's different than, <laughs> than I'm, I'm, I'm coming out and saying, yeah, yeah I saw a pterodactyl. I have no, absolutely no doubt in my mind. I could feel it. Uh, that's what I was looking for too, was multiple sensory things that it wasn't just a delusion. Like it, it, I didn't see it with my own eyes and not see the other things. I saw the other components of it. I saw the leather, the leather of the skin um, and everything else. And, and I, I went home, I did some research. I, I, I tried to figure out whether that was a testing ground for any kind of military stuff. I, I looked up the relative size inclu included to a uh, Harrier jump jet, which Harriers are only by the Marines. So I looked up to see if there was any naval bases around there that would have that or, you know, or, or Osprey. That's the only other thing that I thought it could be was like a, like an Osprey, a, a, a B-22. I mean, you can see that I've researched this uh, Osprey helicopter type of plane. And uh, it, yeah, no. And it, well, Kevin, it, now why wouldn't that fit into the cryptozoological, un, you know, undocumented or well documented but unseen in millennia category? Why does it fit into the time traveler category? Well, I, I because I honestly believe again, this is one of those things where we're, we're, we're in this scenario where we're we're in these things where we're talking about portals, and I still don't understand what a portal really is, Toby. I I, I think that this thing came from a portal i didn't see that all i saw was it coming through breaking through the it, it it basically flew over from from the from the uh from that side of it where all this other stuff had come maybe i'm making an assumption there maybe i'm making a super a supposition maybe that is something that lives in the time but a lot of times whenever people are talking about cryptozoological things like um you know the you know like uh, in Champy or Loch Ness monster, or whatever they say. Oh well, that's just a plesiosaur that is basically, you know, a time projection or something like that. Because it doesn't seem like it seems like people see it, but then at the same time, whenever you search for it, you can't find it. So uh, is is that what's happening? Is it a ghost of a dinosaur? I I don't I don't know. But all I can say is I, I like didn't. That. Yeah. So Even I, I, at I Skinwalker mean, Ranch, they saw what looked like a dire wolf. You know, and they had these supernatural abilities. I think there was other instances of prehistoric animals. Heck, even at Beachfoot, uh, Todd Standing or not Todd Nisa's deal, they're having a gal from Papua New Guinea. Uh, they're flying her in, and the whole village talks about uh, pterodactyls. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's becoming to be kind of a thing, like uh, all these other little urban, not yeah. much, but urban facts. Well, it's a, it's a thing, Toby, and you cut me off whenever you whenever you need me to. But how, how are you on time there, Manager Jude? Uh, no, nine minutes till five. Ten. Okay, we got about another ten minutes here. Let me just ask the audience: any questions here overall? Yes, in the back, loud, nice and loud. Oh, okay, I haven't heard that name. Our Bill used to have a guy on his show called Mad Mad Markham, who I think built the time machine and was going to go back or forward in time. Okay. 
You know Mad Mad Markham? I, I don't. I don't. But, you know, the, the thing that's interesting, I, I, I mean, I know, I know some friends of Art Bell, uh, and, I, and I do know that uh, Art uh, was in on a few things that certain characters that would call up were, were friends of Art's. Now, I'm just going to put it to you that way. It wasn't always. It wasn't always. Uh, it wasn't always above board. Unfortunately, I mean, art. Art was an entertainer in some ways, and, and uh, you know, unfortunately, that's. I mean, I'm not trying to smear the man because I think he did a lot of different things that were good, and he made. If it wasn't for art, we wouldn't all be talking about this stuff anymore. But certain certain types of things. Um, I, I, you know, and it's unfortunate. I think, you know, and and that really has to do with some of the stuff in 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 Washington. Um, uh, that you know, I, I think that uh, you know, a lot of people have done some research on Mel's Hole, for example, and and found out that oh, Mel's Hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, that Kevin, was, if someone wanted to find a spot to mess around with, experiencing, measuring, journaling looking into, uh, you know, portals or places where time is different, what kind of things geologically could they look for in order to do some homework on their own? What are the attributes that maybe they could look out for these, uh, these areas where, you know, yeah. energy is released? What, what are the signs? Well, I think that the, the key thing to do is if you're in, if you're in Washington state um, or Oregon or any place like that, I, I would, you know, I would, uh, I would go to areas that um, a lot of natives find very sacred. In other words, uh, and I'm not saying go there and, and like mess around or anything like that, but uh, Crater Lake is a very sacred place. I mean, people, native, natives have talked to me about Crater Lake. They've talked to me about Mount Shasta, um, Mount Hood, Mount Adams, um, Mount Rainier. Uh, those those are those are kind of the big big sisters of things. Big mountains that have um, uh, that used to have a lot of uh, you know sort of uh, mineral wealth and things like that, quartz in it and and everything like that. But I think where you guys live down there in that valley, I, I like I said, um, uh, some of some of some of the places that uh, are are off the beaten track at certain points in time. Put yourself in the right in the right frame of mind, but it's uh, it's a very power. It's almost, but I would say Cottage Grove is almost too powerful for me. I, I mean, I I I mean, you know me. I've been I've been to Cottage Grove, we, and my we first have that reputation. I know. Well, well, no, I've I've been down there and literally, I think, had a mental breakdown one time. I was there. And I and I and I and I still can't explain it to this day. I think that I'm kind of a, a you know a, a pretty sensitive guy about certain things. But I mean, I, I just remember coming down and and being around just so much sort of vortex energy that it it just kind of, I just kind of lost it for a while until I went out and grounded myself. And, and I think that that's that's the thing uh, with a lot of these things. Whenever you're dealing with um, these different types of things, is you've got to think of the morality of it so if if you well you can't you know if you if you got to go back into the past should you change anything because is it morally right to change it and i i don't i don't know that's that's the big conundrum about people who i think could go back into the past and maybe change it i think you're better off if you're trying to time travel to to do it in the way that 
we try to talk about it, which is a sort of this observer third camera person mode where you're basically observing people without being able to interact with them, that maybe that's the safest way of doing it. In other words, I'd love to go back and hear what Jesus said, for example. I wouldn't want to meet Jesus because if, 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 if I were there, that might change something and then change the, the rest of the way that it was because of the butterfly effect. But if I could go and see it and see what actually happened at that point in time, that would be an interesting thing to me. So that, I mean, and, and that's just one of those things where that, that's the, I mean, almost if, if, if you, if I, if I had a machine that could time travel, I would probably go back and stop me from making it. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. All you right. Know. In closing here, Kevin, cause we're running short on time. Any other questions here for anybody? No. Okay. Kevin, uh, you don't have any, uh, I talked to you a little bit about this before, but your podcast is on hold right now. It may start up uh, this summer. Tell a yeah. little bit of people about your podcast and what they can expect down the road. Well, basically, um, with podcasts and stuff that I do, um, the, the, I've, I've always tried to do it as a discussion about a topic or whatever. You kind of just kind of get up and, and, and just, you know, shoot the crap about certain things. I've, I've you know, we... And and so it's kind of you know it's kind of like the Seinfeld show. It's a show about nothing, but it has to do with paranormal. So we basically argue over stuff for a while. But I think that in a lot of ways, that that and that's kind of how you get to certain things. I, I I've I've found that having a big kind of discussion with people opens up people's ideas. Um, and I don't argue about whether, say, for example, is is Bigfoot gigantic gigantopithecus or is it a, you know space creature it doesn't it doesn't matter i i always look to me as um can we explain any of those possibilities what's the likelihood of that and everything like that so that's that's kind of what we do i do i do it a lot with um with Alyssa or um uh i just changed her name now but um and and so, uh, yeah, we're just waiting for that to come through. And basically, it's, it's usually an hour of talking about a certain subject or whatever. Not your, not your normal news? Is that the name? Yeah, not, not your normal news. And that's just basically my way of, of kind of keeping, keeping the sanity going. Because I, I think that in a lot of times, I share a lot of science uh, stuff on there and sort of out-of-the-worldly stuff. Because yeah. I think that we don't know. I think the average person don't, doesn't know that you can travel into the future going the speed of light. I, th I think the average person doesn't know that, but they do know whether, uh, you know, some, some politician said something wrong and somebody's getting mad about it. You know what I mean? That, right. that it, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, we are not well-rounded in, in, in what, we are, what we are provided with. And I th a lot of that stuff is just to divide people and everything like that. But, you know, that's, that's fine. I mean... That's that's the reality we live with. We've always been in a society that has divided people against each other. And once we figure out that we're all the same, maybe that would be a good thing. But that's what I do. Well, I, uh, I think our time has run out here. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show, Kevin. And um, I tell you what, everyone give him a big round of applause. Again, that was Kevin Ian Beagle his perspective on time travel and even pterodactyls. 
which remarkably aren't that uncommon from that area or in general. And I think that there might be a pterodactyl witness showing up at the 2019 Beachfoot from Papua New Guinea. I think that's the word. So ask people about that one. I I won't be there to ask myself. Also, Kevin is starting up his podcast again, Not Your Normal News, and I'm going to go out of my way to make sure I mention that, um, that him and Ira Wolfnissen uh, will be speaking, I believe, once a week on Facebook via Not Your Normal News. So you like Kevin's perspective? Go listen to it now weekly at Not Your Normal News on Facebook. It may be on other social networks as well. Okay, also, coming up on July 13th from 3 to 6 p.m., your virtual Secrets of the Sasquatch conference brought to you by none other Strange Brow Radio. It's your chance to hear more perspective from Ira Wolfsnosen or Christopher O'Brien. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because he wrote uh, Stalking the Herd and also on Contributor on Ancient Aliens. And he has one heck of a Bigfoot story. We'll have Joe Hauser from the Montana Vortex. Myself. Carrie Campbell, wife of Ron Moorhead. Ron Moorhead will be there as well. And Kirk Sigurdsson, and maybe a couple surprise guests as well. So, that is coming up on July 13th. This year, 3 to 6 p.m., we'll be streaming it on YouTube, and then we'll probably put another secondary copy up on, on YouTube. Just keep your eyes peeled on Facebook and YouTube in general for July 13th to see what pops up between... 3 and 6 p.m. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, get a hold of me at strangebrowradio at gmail.com, strangebrowradio at gmail.com, or just climb on Facebook and shoot me a message. All right, thanks again to our sponsor, Feral by Aaron at Etsy.com. Again, working hand-in-hand with Marcia K. Moore. Stay tuned for that. All right, thanks so much, and we will see you next week. Oh, and I'll see you in the trees. (laughs) 